Okay, technical difficulties this evening. All right, thank you everyone for your patience. Good evening, good evening. We are Emir Sashem, continuing tonight in our topic of Tilman Torah. So last week we began Kapitel Mem Aleph. 41. So the truth is, we're going to skip. I still, I know that I still owe you a few shiurim. We still have a lot to do in Kapitel Memalif, but only because I, I saw something that directly relates to this week's parasha, so wanted to skip a little bit. So going from Memalif to Pe Aleph. So 41 to 81. So in the middle of this particular, particularly beautiful Kapitel, David Amalek writes as follows. When speaking about HaKadosh Baruch Hu, he explains, Anochi Hashem Elokecha, I am Hashem, your God, Hamalcha Me'eretz Mitzrayim, who took you out of Egypt, Herchav, Picha, Va'amalehu. Literally, again, open it your mouth wide, and I shall fill it. Open your mouth wide, and I shall fill it. So interestingly enough, you know, in the mornings, we learn Mesilas Yisharim, so it happens to be that Ramchal quotes the end of this Pasuk in Parak Chaf, in chapter 20, where Ramchal discusses the idea of Emuna and Vitachon, the concept of having faith in HaKadosh Baruch Hu. So Herchav Picha, Hashem says, literally open your mouth and I will fill it. The idea being that a person has to believe that ultimately the Ribono Shalolam is always the sustainer and the provider. But we're not focusing on that part of the Pasuk. I want to draw your attention instead to the beginning of the Pasuk. Hashem I am Hashem, your God, Hamalcha Me'eretz Mitzrayim, who took you out of Egypt. And the truth is, this particular, this particular phrase is nothing new to us, because the truth is, the concept of Yitzhiyas Mitzrayim, of the Exodus, is perhaps one of the most mentioned events throughout the entire Torah. And in fact, it trickles down to this very day, if you think about it, every single thing we do, right? We make Kiddush on Shabbos night. And when we make Kiddush, what do we say in Kiddush? Zecher Yitzhiyas Mitzrayim. Everything is to remember the Exodus to the point that I'll point out something very interesting that the Gemara in Meseches Brachas contains a very interesting Machlokis. The Machlokis is regarding whether or not, whether or not in the Messianic era, we will discuss the Exodus from Egypt. Right, right now everything is Zechel Yitzhak Mitzrayim. When Mashiach comes, are we still going to be focused on, on the Exodus? Or perhaps our focus will shift the Merit Hashem to Mashiach. That's a whole, in other words, it's just the question itself is so fascinating that the Exodus is so embedded in the Jewish psyche that there is nothing that we do that is not somehow linked to Yitzhak Mitzrayim. And here's a perfect example. Kiddush on Friday night, right? Why do we observe Shabbos? Why do we observe Shabbos? It's not a true question. Right? We observed Shabbos, observed Shabbos, so to speak, right? He worked six days, he stopped on day number seven, and therefore he tells us to observe Shabbos as well. What does Shabbos have to do with Yitzhak Mitzrayim? What, what, what do you mean that Shabbos? Shabbos is Zechar Yitzhak Mitzrayim? Shabbos is to remember the Exodus? What's the link between Shabbos and the Exodus? That's beautiful, but that doesn't make it a, a memorial to the Exodus. In other words, Zechel Yitzhak in other words, when I sit down at the Pesach Seder, that's Zechel Yitzhak Mitzrayim. I am commemorating something which historically occurred. Shabbos preceded the Exodus, right? Shabbos preceded everything. So what do you mean Zechel Yitzhak And again, in general, we have to ask ourselves, why is it that the Exodus, that Yitzhak Mitzrayim plays such a pivotal role within Yiddishkeit? To the point that I just want to point out that when David HaMelech describes Hashem, how does he describe Hashem? I am the God who took you out of Egypt. Now, there are so many ways that David HaMelech could have described Hashem. I am the God who created the world. 
I am the God who gave you Torah. I am the God who sustained three and a half million people for 40 years with Mun. In the, there are so many different descriptions that David Melech could have given about HaKadosh Baruch Hu. Yet, the one way that David Melech chooses to immortalize the Ribbon Shalom is by calling him the God who took us out of Egypt. The God who took us out of Egypt. And the truth is, it's all one question. Why is it that Kiddush Why is that the Exodus plays such a, such a prominent role within the Jewish psyche? Why does David HaMelech identify God out of all the ways you can identify God? God is the one who took us out of Egypt. So the Ramban, this, this is a famous question. So the Ramban himself is already bothered by this. Now the Ramban specifically is bothered by, by Kiddush on Shabbos. So he says, but I'm making Kiddush on Shabbos. I'm remembering the fact that Hashem created the world and stopped creating on Shabbos. So what does it have to do with Egypt? And the Rabban gives a profound answer. The Rabban explains that, do we know that HaKadosh Baruch created the world? Do we know that Hashem created the world? Do we know it? Yeah. Did anyone see it? No. So I believe it, but I don't know it. I, I, I know it's, or, I, or I know it, but no one actually saw it. When was the first time that mankind experienced the creative prowess of the Ribbono Shalom? And it was in Egypt. What happened during the Makos, during the plagues? So humanity saw that God controls nature. What happened during the plagues? Hashem hardened Paro's heart. Mankind saw that Hashem controls man. What happens when we left Egypt? At Shem split the seed, destroyed. Mankind saw that God runs the world. What's the point of Shabbos? What's the point of Shabbos? Shabbos is when we yield our creative prowess to Hakadosh Baruch Hu. On Sunday through Friday, I think I'm the creator. Sunday through Friday, I'm in charge. I'm the guy making stuff happen. Shabbos, I remind myself. I try to make stuff happen, but at the end of the day, only HaKadosh Baruch Hu makes things happen. That's Zechar Yetzias Mitzrayim. Because where was the first time that we saw Hashem as an active creator? It was by the Exodus story. Again, not just when we left, it was through the Makos. And that's why over and over, the Ramban points out over and over, Yetzias Mitzrayim is embedded in the Jewish psyche as the primary event, right? It's incredible. You would think, if I were to ask you, what's the primary event in Jewish history, what would you say? Primary event. I'm sorry? Harsinai, right? Harsinai, receiving Torah, is what concretized and solidified our identity. And that is absolutely true. But at the end of the day, the concept of the Ribono Shal Olam as a creator, that comes from Harsinai. That comes, sorry, sorry, that comes from Yitzhak Mishayim. That comes from the Exodus. And that's why David HaMelech, when he talks about HaKadosh Baruch Hu, how does he describe him? Anochi Hashem Elokecho, Hamalcha Me'eretz Mitzrayim. I am Hashem who took you out of Egypt. This is the dominant feature, the dominant identity of the Ribbono Shalom. So what I'll point out is something very interesting. So what, okay, so now, I understand that on one level, the reason why God is identified as the God who took us out of Egypt, and the reason why at the end of the day, the Exodus plays such a pivotal role in our national psyche, is because the Exodus shows us the creative power and prowess of Hashem. But is there another lesson embedded 
in Yitzias Mitzrayim as well. And the reason why this is important is because it's this week's parasha. If you take a look at source number four, this week's parasha, what does the Torah say? Vahimi Kates Shloshim Shana, Vaarba Meoshana, was at the end of 430 years. Vahiba Etzami Amazel was in the middle of the day. Yotsu Kotsivo Sashem Eretz Mitzrayim. We left Egypt. We left Egypt. That's this week's parasha. This is the parasha, parasha's bow. This week's parasha is the parasha of Yitzhak Mitzrayim. It's the end of the plagues, and it's the parasha of Mamish when we leave. So this is the parasha of Yitzhak Mitzrayim. David HaMelech is telling us that the primary identity of God is as the God who took us out of Egypt, which then really leads us to one simple yet profound question. What is the takeaway message for us? from the Exodus. What's the takeaway message? So of course, takeaway message, primary theological message, number one is, that Echadosh Baruch is the creator. That, 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 and, and that is, that is the primary takeaway. Hashem is the creator, and by the way, not just the historical creator, right? What do we say every single day in Birchos Kriyashma? HaMechadish betuvo bechol yom tamid Hashem renews creation every single day. You see, we look at nature and we assume, okay, the sunrise, right? The, the sun came up today. Why did the sun come up today? Why? Why? Because that's what happens. Like, because the same way the sun came up the day before and the sun's going to come up tomorrow. And it's true. Everything looks like it's just pre-programmed. But in fact, nothing happens without the Hashkachas Hashem. Nothing happens without divine providence and divine will. The fact that God wills it to occur the same way every single day doesn't take away from the fact that it's being actively willed into creation every day. That's what Mitzrayim taught us. That the Rebono Shal Olam is an ever-present, ongoing, creative power within our universe. But is there another takeaway message of Yitzhiyas Mitzrayim? So I want to share with you something interesting. I shared part of this actually a few weeks ago on Shabbos, but I wanted to expand on it a little bit more. So if you take a look at number five, take a look at number five. So if we go back to the beginning of Shmos, right, all the way in the beginning. So remember again, Sefer Bracious ends. How does Sefer Bracious end? How does it end? It ends on a, what seems like a relatively good note, right? Everybody got old and died. Yeah, it's a pretty good ending. You know I'm saying like, like, like that's, Baruch Hashem, that's the way of the world, right? Yosef got old and died. Their brothers got old died. Everybody got old and died, right? And the Jewish people flourished in Goshen, in Mitzrayim. Fine. Open up Parsha Shmos, things begin to take a downward spiral, right? And again, remember, it's at first very nuanced. If you take a look at number five, so Paro says to his people, we have to deal wisely with the Jewish problem. Pen lest they proliferate. So Paro essentially does, this is like the oldest play in the anti-Semitic playbook, right? Go ahead and portray the Jews as an existential threat to the indigenous nation's peoplehood, right? The Jews are proliferating. The Jews are everywhere. If somehow there's an external enemy, the Jews are going to join with them and they're going to dislodge us from our land. So Paro creates the perception that there is a Jewish threat. So what should we do with them? What should we do with them? So Paro says, So the Torah says, Paro appointed taskmasters. Okay, so what did Paro do? Forced labor. Forced labor. They have to work for the government. And specifically, again, they have to build cities. So this was the initial plan of Paro. Okay, this is part A. 
Part B, look at source number six. Vayimaros chayehem ba'avoda kasha b'chomer b'levenim. So now what does Paro tell us? What, has, what happens next? They embittered, embittered their lives with hard labor. B'chomer u'b'levenim, with clay, with bricks. U'b'chol avoda basada, working in the field. Eis kal avoda sam, asher avdu bahem b'farech. Ultimately, again, in all types of backbreaking labor, the Gemara Masechus Sota number seven describes this, and the Gemara says, At first, they were just conscripted to build, but then essentially the Jews were relegated to the status of beasts of burden, just having to work the field like any other beast of burden. Fine. The Medrash number eight says something very interesting. So, so just to give you context, well, actually, let's look at the Medrash first. So, Egyptian slavery started in a very gradual, nuanced fashion, right? Paro understood you can't just turn around and enslave a people that's living amongst you, especially, especially not when one of their ancestors was the person who saved Egypt in the midst of regional famine. So remember again, Yosef saved Egypt. Paro can't just simply turn around and subtly go ahead and enslave the children of Yosef. So it's a very gradual process. If you take a look at number eight, so the Medrash writes, Kibetz is called Yisrael. Before Paro did anything to enslave the people, what happens? He gathers the Jewish people. He makes a meeting. Makes a meeting of the Jewish people. Paro says, Jews, I want you to come work with me. Not work for me. I want you, right, let's build up, let's build up Egyptian infrastructure. Come work with me. So, so fine. So what happens? What did Paro do? Second line, middle of, the, middle of the second line in source number eight. So what happened? Paro himself took clay, took a basket of clay, a bucket of clay. Magrifa is like a shovel. And Paro started working. He started working, right? So can you imagine? You're in Egypt. You see the Pharaoh. See the Pharaoh, right? He's rolled up his sleeve, taking off right, probably his royal clothing, putting on work clothing. And what is he doing? He's making bricks. He's laying cement. He's doing everything he has to do. So what happens when you see Pharaoh doing that? What happens? What happens? You do it also. If the Pharaoh is doing it, which happens to me, but I'll just point out, it's actually an incredible lesson in leadership. True leadership is never ask people to do something that you wouldn't do yourself. That's what leadership is, right? If I'm going to ask you to do it, I'm, I'm doing it right alongside you. If it's, not, if, if, right, if it's beneath me, if it's beneath me, then I can't ask you to go ahead and do it. It's an incredible, incredible, which if you think about it, by the way, is exactly often what's missing, especially from contemporary political leadership, right? There's often an espousal of values, that are good for everyone else, but I don't have to live that way. And people see through that, and that's why there's such disillusionment in general with so many forms of leadership in any event. So Paro goes ahead and says, listen, I'm not asking you to do anything. I'm telling you, I'm getting to work. I'm getting to work. People see, wow, the Pharaoh's getting to work. If the Pharaoh's getting to work, then guess what? I'm going to get to work as well. So what happens? People started to make bricks alongside Paro. So Paro's making bricks. Jews are going to make bricks. Everyone's making bricks. So the progression was, the Pharaoh's making bricks. 
the Egyptians come. Of course, if Pharaoh's working, we're going to work. While the Jews see the Egyptians working, while the Egyptians are working, we're going to work also. So listen to this. So then what, what happens what time Medrash describes? So it began as a voluntary endeavor to build up Egyptian infrastructure. Right? So what began as Jews willingly working alongside their fellow Egyptians and Pharaoh turned into enslavement. Turned into enslavement. Now, what I want to draw your attention to is something really very interesting, which is going back, let's see, going back, if you look in the parashos of Shmos, particularly Shmos, not as much I but in Shmos, the word that is mentioned most often is the word Levenim, bricks. Bricks. Bricks are constantly mentioned. And by the way, I'll just point out over here. If you, again, I didn't quote all the psukim over here, but you'll notice again in number six, Bricks. The Madrish, what did Paros start building? Bricks. What do the people start building? Bricks. Fast forward to the end of Parsha Shmos. End of Parsha Shmos. Remember again the story? Moshe, first encounter with Paro. Moshe says to Paro, we're going to let the Jewish people go ahead and go. We're going to let them free. Gonna let, what does Paro say? Two words. Tichbat ha'avoda. If you have time to dream about freedom, that means you have too much time on your hands. Paro says, you have to, no more straw, no more straw, but what? You still have to bring in the same number of bricks. Bricks, 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 bricks. The word mentioned most often in Parsha Shmos, Levenim bricks. Paro is making bricks. Jews are making bricks. So the Lubavitcher Rebbe, Zechir Tzadavikadosh says, what's going on over here? Why? In other words, let's be honest. I don't care what they're making, right? It doesn't, it doesn't really matter for our purposes, right? What matters for our purposes? I'm the reader. I'm the reader. Oh, I am the learner of Torah. What matters for my purposes? What's the takeaway message for me? Slavery. Slavery. Does it matter to me if they're making bricks? Does it matter to me if they're tilling soil? Does it matter to me if they're baking? I, I, it doesn't make a difference. The point is, they are slaves. The, what they are working on seems to be profoundly inconsequential. Yet, the Torah itself goes out of its way over and over and over to discuss bricks. So what's the pshat? Now, of course, we know it's got to mean something because remember, at the end of the day, the Torah never includes any piece of extraneous information. You know, in general, one of the most interesting things is to see that there are so many things that the Torah doesn't tell us explicitly that we either have to infer or that we learn from the verbal tradition, the Torah Shabbat, and then there are some things that the Torah like seems to repeat over and over and over. So just to give you like, like just a simple idea, right? Shabbos, there are 39 malachos. Where in the Torah does it state the 39 malachos of Shabbos? Where does it state them? Correct. It doesn't. It doesn't. We learn out the 39 malachos of Shabbos from the fact that Shabbos is juxtaposed to the construction of the Mishkan. So whatever was done in the construction of the Mishkan is Asr on Shabbos. So strange. Shabbos is a cornerstone of our, of our belief. Shabbos is a pillar. Yet the entire bulk of halacha that teaches us how to observe Shabbos is not stated explicitly. It's inferred from a juxtaposition. And yet here, when it comes to Jewish servitude, 
I'm told no less than six times that the Jews have to make bricks. I got it. Tell me once, bricks. Tell me twice, bricks. Three times, maybe if I'm a slow learner. Right? But, but at the end, I got it. I got it. They're making bricks. They're making bricks. Why the need to repeat bricks, 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 bricks? And here the Rebbe says something beautiful. Take a look at number nine on your sheet. Slobavitch Rebbe says something truly beautiful. He says, Sarah says something very beautiful. He says, the job of a Jew is to build a home for Hashem. Now, the truth is, when the Rebbe sees that building a home for Hashem, where do I build the home for Hashem? Where is the home for Hashem that I build? It could be, so first it could be the base Hamikdash, absolutely. But where else? It's me. It's me. I, 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 I am the home of Hashem. Right? The Shechina resides inside me. I have a Neshama. My Neshama is a spark of the Ribbono Shalolam. So I, I am a house. I house the Shechina. So when the Lubavitch Rebbe says that a Jew has an obligation to build a house for HaKadosh Baruch Hu, what the Rebbe is really saying is what? The Jew has an obligation to build themselves. I have an obligation to build me. I'm in source number nine, paragraph Aleph. So he says something amazing. He says, Bias, how do you build a house? How do you build a house? So the rabbi says, Bias, Esher Livnos Me Avonim, Kifisha Besamitosh Hayatzarach Lios Binyan Avonim. So when you build a house, how do you build a house? You could use stones. So for example, right, you know that the Besamitosh was made from stones. The truth is we're able to see this. A person has the schus to go to the kosel, right? You stand, and, and remember again, the kosel itself is not a wall of the Beis HaMikdash. Remember, that's a last vestige of the retaining wall built by Herod. That's, 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 that's Herodian, right? That's, that's, a, that's, a, that's a piece, again, because you, you know, Harabayas is a mountain. So right now, you look at the aerial views of Harabayas and it's flat, so how does a mountain become flat? So again, I mean, it's not simple, but it's simple to explain, which is you build walls around the mountain, fill in the walls, suddenly you create a flat surface. That's why, again, Harabayas is flanked by walls, giving it its flat surface. The cell is the last remaining vestige of one of the Herodian retaining walls. So you look at the stones, so right, that's, the base, that's, how the, that's how the retaining wall was built. It's stones. All stones. So you can build a house from stones. But the Rebbe says there's another way to build a structure, build a home. How else do you build a home? Bricks. Bricks. You can build from stones, you can build from bricks. Okay, paragraph base. This is so incredible. The Rebbe says, so where lies the fundamental distinction between building from stones or from bricks? See, he writes, So what's there between, between stones and bricks? This is incredible. Stones occur, what's the right word? Naturally in nature. I know that's redundant, right? But stones are, stones are natural creation, right? Hashem created them. They're naturally They're made by Hashem. On the other hand, bricks, bricks have to be made by man. So stones are fashioned by a Kaddish Baruch Hu. Bricks are made by man. So listen to this. When it comes to the creation of stones, right? So stones are made by Hashem. So what's man's job when it comes to a stone, right? So the stone is made by God. 
but now I want to build with the stone. Right? So what do I have to do with the stone? What do I have to do it? Chisel. Chisel. Right? The stone is naturally formed. Now I want to take the stone, I want to build it into a structure. You usually can't just take a stone from, right? Stone from the, you know, if, if you remember, by the way, it was incredible. If you remember back a number of years when they were making, when they were building Mamila, when they were building Mamila, if you saw, it was incredible. So they're using Jerusalem stone. Each of the stones had a number and a marking on it, indicating where it could go. In other words, that you can't just find the stone and plug it into a, plug it into a building, right? You have to take it, you have to chisel it, and you have to place it in a very specific way. That's what stones are. Naturally formed, you could use it, but you have to chisel it down to make it usable for your particular purpose. He goes on, he says, But man doesn't make stones. In other words, stones are made by God. Man's job is to chisel the stones. But yet when it comes to, when it comes to bricks, how are bricks made? How are bricks made? Bricks are man-made. Man-made. Right? A person takes, a person takes straw, a person takes water, a person takes mud, he kneads the whole thing together, puts it in an oven, fires it up, creates something totally new, a brick. It's fascinating, right? So again, two ways to build, so if you follow the Rebbe's progression, right? Two ways to build a home, right? The home is me. The home, well, come back to me, right? Uh, two ways to build, stones and stones and bricks. Stones, naturally formed, Bidei Shamaim, my job to take them, chisel them down. Bricks, you got to make it from scratch. You have to create that. So the Rebbe says something so beautiful over here. Paragraph Gimel, he says, Gam ba'avadasu haruchane shala adam, in a person's ruchnius, in a person's spiritual development, there are also stones and bricks. There are stones and bricks. Meaning what? Let me just read one more paragraph. Then we'll explain paragraph Dalit Ulam. So let, let me take a little bit of poetic license with the words of the Rebbe. What the Rebbe is teaching us is like this. Stones and bricks represent two different types of circumstances in life. There are stone circumstances and brick circumstances. Right? The stone circumstances are what? Those are the circumstances which are visited upon you. Right? In other words, I didn't choose them. I didn't choose them. Just like the stone is naturally formed in the world, it's made by a Kaddish Baruch Hu. So stone circumstances are realities that are visited upon me. So what do you do in life when there are circumstances visited upon you? What do you do? What do you do? So there's one, right? There's only one thing to do, which is chisel them down and fit it into the facade of dynamic life activity. Take, take what life has dealt you. Take the circumstances life has dealt you. 
chisel it, put it into your life, put it into your structure, and move yourself forward. Now, there is another option. What else can you do with, with life stones? What else can you do with them? You can allow yourself to be crushed underneath them. That does happen all the time, right? Life deals me a stone that I don't like, like and it's a really big stone and perhaps even a boulder. And I could just choose to say, you know what? I didn't like this stone. I didn't choose this stone. I don't want this stone. I lament this stone. I repudiate this stone. I reject this stone. I don't acknowledge this stone. Great. It's still there. It's still there. The stone's not going anywhere, right? This is your stone. So you could just allow yourself to be buried underneath it. And by the way, that happens a lot. Life gives people stones and they're so upset that they didn't get the building material they ordered. Right? They didn't get the life they wanted. They didn't get the circumstances they desired. I spent all of my energy lamenting the stone that I have to the point that I'm buried underneath it. So that's one option. Option two is you take the stones that life gives you, you chisel it. You take your life circumstances. Yeah, life is filled with circumstances that we did not choose. Life is filled with realities that we would have never asked for. Life is filled with stones that HaKadosh Baruch Hu foisted upon me. And now they're here. And now I got it. And now that stone is staring me in my face. So now, again, I could lament, cry, reject, repudiate, get buried underneath it. Or I could say, this is my life. This is my stone. How do I navigate? How do I navigate? And that willingness to navigate, that willingness to acknowledge this new reality and to find the courage and strength to move forward, that's the chiseling of my stone into the life edifice. Chiseling of my stone into the life edifice. But then the Rebbe goes on, he says something amazing. But life is not just filled with stones. Buildings are not just built with stones. Buildings are also built with bricks. And here the Rebbe says, look at paragraph Dalit, he says, Ulam, there's another level. There's another level. And what's the other level? And here the Rebbe says something incredibly beautiful. The other level is, the other level is, that It's not enough just to take the stones that life gives you. Rather, what do you have to do? You have to create realities for yourself. You see, a brick is man-made. A brick represents the circumstances you create for yourself in life. You're not a passenger in life. You're not a, spec- excuse me, a spectator in life. You are in control, at least of certain things. And so the brick represents me taking ownership over my existence and crafting something new for myself. Life can't just be about managing realities that have been foisted upon me. Life also has to be about me taking the initiative to engage in dynamic activity, to create new realities for myself. That's called brick making. And therefore, Lubav Shabbat says something so beautiful. If my job in this world is to go ahead and make a home, make a home for HaKadosh Baruch Hu, and the home, what's the home? The home is me. I'm the home. I'm the home. How do I make myself? Right? Isn't that the million dollar question that we ask ourselves every single day? And if we haven't been asking it, we need to start asking it. Right? How do I make me? How do I make me? And the Lubavitch says very simple, two ingredients, stones and bricks. 
Step one, take the stones, the circumstances that life gives you. Don't get paralyzed. Don't get buried. Take them, grab them, chisel them, which means find a way to navigate with them, build them into your edifice, move yourself forward. But don't live life as a constant reactive experience. Be proactive. What do you want? What do you want to create? What do you want to do? Who do you want to be? Those are your bricks. Those are your bricks. Those are the things you create yourself. Incredible idea. Let's bring this back. What do we see going on in the parasha? Paro. Paro is preoccupied. What is, pre- what is power preoccupied with? Bricks. Now, if you think about it, it makes a lot of sense. Because why is Paro preoccupied with bricks? What, what, what is Paro trying to show the Jewish people? Right? Paro has one simple goal. What's Paro's goal? What's Paro's goal? Right? Break the Jewish standard. How do you break people? How, how, how do you break people? Very simple. You break people by making them believe that they have absolutely no autonomy. If a person believes that they have no control over their life, by definition, there's no... They lose their spark, right? They, 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 lose, they, they lose a sense of animated purpose. Like, I have, I have no control. I have no control. And if I have no control, there's no motivation to do anything. If you look at the way Paro treated the Jews, his whole idea was to try to highlight to them that they have no control over their destiny. By the way, I'll, I'll point out, that's also this week's parasha. The first mitzvah, the first mitzvah that HaKadosh Baruch Hu gives us in this, in this week's parasha, first mitzvah, which is, HaChodesh HaZelachem Rosh Chadashim. The mitzvah of Kiddush HaChodesh, sanctification of the new moon, of the new month. Right? Kiddush HaChodesh. And we always speak about this idea. It's such a strange mitzvah. Like here, God is like introducing himself to the Jewish people. And so this is the first mitzvah he's commanding us. And I don't know if God would have consulted me, which he didn't, right? But if he would have consulted me and asked me for some suggestions about the first mitzvah to give the fledgling Jewish nation, I would have made a whole bunch of other suggestions, right? Shabbos, Shabbos. Purim would have been a very good one, right? That would have right, raised spirits immediately, right? In other words, there are so many other profound and beautiful mitzvahs that we have that are like covenantal mitzvahs, that are relationship mitzvahs. And yet Hashem starts with Kiddush HaChodesh. Why? Give a simple answer. Because Kiddush HaChodesh represents control over time. Control over time. We decide when Rosh Chodesh is. And by the way, when we decide when Rosh Chodesh is, what does that dictate? What does that dictate? When Yom Tiv is. That's why in Kiddush, on Yom Tiv, what do we say at the end of Kiddush? Baruch Atah Hashem, Mekadish Yisrael v'hazmanim. Hashem sanctifies us, and then we cloud Yisrael, we declare the new month, so we sanctify the Yom Tovim. Why does Hashem give us that as the first mitzvah? Because what is Hashem trying to give us? What is He trying to restore back to us? Control. Control. In this case, control over time. Paro stripped us of control for 210 years. There was no control, no autonomy. And how does Paro do that? See, Paro controls our bricks. Or at least, he tries to control our bricks. Right? Paro's build bricks. Build, build my bricks. I'm going to build bricks. You're going to build bricks right next to me. Right? The tally of bricks. It's always the bricks. Because what do the bricks represent? The bricks represent your ability to build what you want out of life. The stones 
represent the circumstances of life visited upon you that you have to reactively accept, chisel out, and now ultimately make into something, put into your facade. The bricks represent me taking the reins of life and creating something beautiful for myself. The bricks represent my goals, my dreams, my aspirations, the thing I want to do. So what does power take from us? He takes our bricks. He controls our bricks. We're not building our bricks. We're building his bricks. And his bricks, right? His bricks, the reality that he is creating for us is a a reality in which there is no control, a reality in which there is no autonomy, a reality in which there is no destiny, a reality in which there is no future. That's why, that's why there is this fixation on bricks. Because my job, right? I understand, see now also, I understand what Paro was doing. And I understand why his reaction, again, it's so fascinating. Moshe, so when I plug it back in, Moshe comes with this message of redemption, right? Let my people go. Let's, let's get out of here. And what does Paro say? Take away the straw. You still have to build the same number of bricks. When we talk about freedom, Paro says, you're building my bricks. You don't talk about freedom. You don't build your own bricks. You build my bricks. That's what you do. You build my bricks. And over and over and over, the brick fixation. Because Paro tried to rob us of the beautiful autonomy represented by the personalistic bricks. And now if we take this full circle, now I begin to understand ultimately why it is that Yitzhak Mitzrayim plays such a pivotal role. Because essentially what happened, what happened when we were emancipated? Right? Because if you think about it, think about everything that has occurred since Yitzhak Mitzrayim. Right? There's been so many beautiful ups, but also a number of dramatic downs. Right? Many peaks, but a lot of valleys. A lot of valleys. So what role does Yitzhak Mitzrayim play in our lives? Because you see, when we think about Yitzhak Mitzrayim, we say, what did Hashem give us when he, take, when he took us out of Egypt? What did he give us? He gave us freedom. But the truth is, he gave us something much more profound, yet no more nuanced, which is, what did he give us back? He gave us our bricks. When we left Egypt, my bricks became my own. For 210 years, I was building someone else's bricks. For 210 years, I did not have control over the bricks that I was creating. For 210 years, everything was about the reality that Paro wanted to construct for me. When we left Egypt, suddenly, I have the most incredible opportunity. The opportunity to fashion my own bricks, my own dreams, my own goals, my own aspirations, my own wants. I have the ability to shape my destiny. I have the ability to build my home. So if we bring this all together, this is also why David HaMelech identifies HaKadosh Baruch Hu. Anochi Hashem Elokecho, Hamalcha Me'eretz Mitzrayim. Do you want to know the most incredible thing that Hashem did for us? The most incredible thing? Most incredible thing. It's not that He created the world. It's not even that He gave us the Torah. Isn't that incredible? Giving us the Torah is incredible. But the most incredible thing Hashem did for us is He took us out of Egypt. And when He took us out of Egypt, He gave us back our bricks. That was the greatest thing that the Ribbono Shal Olam has ever done for Cloud Yisrael. And that's what we celebrate. And that's what we rejoice over every single time we say, Zecher Yitzias Mitzrayim. 
because it was this event which restored my personalistic autonomy. It was this event that restored my ability to dream. It was this event that restored my ability to have my own goals, to build my own bricks. That's why HaKadosh Baruch who says David HaMelech is identified as the God who took us out of because the Exodus gave us back our bricks. And so if we think about this lesson, it's incredibly profound. Because now if we kind of end with the Rebbe, now that I understand what Hashem did for us when He took us out of Egypt, so now we're back to our core mission. And what's our core mission? Our mission is to build a home. To build a home for Hashem. Which is another way of saying, to build ourselves. And how does one build themselves? Again, it's a very same. Right? We go through life thinking, what should I do? How should I do it? Sometimes the formula is so simple. I just have to build myself. And how do I build myself? Again, two parts to your personalistic building, which are stones and bricks. When life gives you stones, which inevitably it will. Those are the circumstances you don't want. The circumstances you never planned for. The circumstances you wish you did not have to contend with, but you do. Don't lose yourself. Don't get buried under the stone. Take it. Accept it. Acknowledge it. Chisel it. Chisel it means find a way to deal with it in your new reality of life and put it into the facade of your life structure. But lest you think that it's enough to live a reactive life, a home that is built out of stones, only stones, is a deficient home. A home must also be built by bricks. And those are the bricks. Those are the dreams, the goals, and aspirations, right? A brick is made from scratch. A brick is not naturally occurring. I have to create a brick. That represents the realities that I want to create for myself in this world. What are my goals? What are my dreams? What are my aspirations? What are the things I want to do? What are the things I want to change? How do I want to advance? How do I want to pivot? Those are the bricks in life. If we can find the courage to accept and chisel the stones... Find the courage to create beautiful bricks. Then, Amir Hashem, we will be zocha to build a house for Hashem in this world. We'll be zocha, Amir Hashem, to build ourselves. Stop over here for tonight. Shalom, everyone. There is no shear next week because it's uh, the winter break and a lot of people are away. So, Amir Hashem, I'll put it out on the chat, but we'll resume the following week. Amir Hashem with with Kapitol Mem Aleph, back to forty one. Amir Hashem.